First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in real estate. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. All right, you animals, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. I'm Sean P. McCarthy, and I'm here. Everybody's with me. Yogi Pollywalt. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. And so this week, we're talking about, on this Billionaires podcast, we've, we've talked about a lot of different strategies for becoming a billionaire. That's right. Uh, and, but I think this week, we are finally discussing the most self-made way to become a billionaire. Really? And that is to marry a billionaire, mm-hmm. get them addicted to a cocktail of antipsychotic and antidepressant drugs so that they're in a fog and they don't understand what's going on. Okay. Then get them to uh, sign a will that completely excludes all of their family and gives everything to you, <laughs> and then murder them. Yeah. That was uh, chapter eight of Capital, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Piketty's Capital. Yes. And then do it again. Uh, because this week we're talking about Lily Safra, who's a, uh, a Brazilian billionaire. Forbes gives her a $1.3 billion net worth as of May 2019. Uh, Forbes does not give her a self-made score, however, what? which I think is kind Come of bullshit. On. Because to me. <laughs> if you're going to have the 10 out of 10, what's the point? Yeah, and uh, also, how can you kill someone and not have a self-worth million uh, a rating, you know? Yeah. You know, you had to, I mean, I guess she had to contact out, contract out the labor for the actual murder, <laughs> but it should be noted, um, Forbes, so Lily you Safra, she didn't do the murder? Well, here's the thing. Lily Safra has been married four times. Okay, Her, wait. Yes. First, let's do some housekeeping. Uh-huh. Uh, I want to do some housekeeping real quick. You might've heard Richard Nixon asking us to sock it to him. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our listeners are torn on whether we should have more drops. That's right. And I think we need to resolve it now. Where we're going to have a vote on whether we should have uh, more drops or less drops. <gasps> and the way you vote is you leave us a five-star review on iTunes and you tell us whether you want more or less drops. We're only counting the five-star ones. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can get two votes uh, if you subscribe to our Patreon full $5 tier oh. and uh, comment there. Hmm. How Three many votes if you do both. Okay. And how many votes do they get if they do a tier above the $5 one? Uh, three. Okay. <laughs> We're not going to let you pick which drops, though. No. No, no of course so not. So you could, you could vote more drops and then absolutely destroy this podcast. <laughs> 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 but this week, we are talking about Lily Safra. And what I was saying earlier is essentially this idea of like, how self-made are you mm-hmm. if you are a, uh, let's say, gold digger? For, but it's a pejorative term, but, but let's use that term. And let's say you marry a man for money, and then you do the and hard... And he gives you money. Yes. But marry, you, marry a person for right, money. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Steve. Gender-neutral yeah. gold digging. Yes. But, but that's, like, that's nothing. That's easy. It does take actual labor to stage that person's murder <laughs> after you have gotten them addicted to various drugs so that they sign a will when they have no idea what's going on that totally excludes their siblings their parents these things are labor and that does make you a worker so i will argue on this episode that lily safra is a worker 
Well, no one considers, no one takes into account the mental load <laughs> of, <laughs> of ordering hits. That's right. Yeah. You know, planning these, planning out the hit, calling the pharmacist. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. that is really like it. The term gets thrown around a lot, but this is definitely emotional labor. This is mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, this is just basic shit to run a household where you. Mur- plan to murder your spouse. <laughs> Nobody ever talks about the emotional labor of uh, having to look into the faces of the children you have with oh the man God. you murdered <laughs> oh and lie to them. <laughs> Let alone the commitment to get married over four times. But so I should just explain this here. So Lily Safra has been married four times. Her second and fourth husbands were both mysteriously <laughs> murdered. Um, and so, so the first and third got off scot-free? Yes. Uh, and we'll kind of go through like the whole story with all those husbands, but um, it should be noted. I mentioned Forbes uh, doesn't give her a self-made score. However, on the Forbes website, it notes that uh, there is a conspiracy theory. That's the quote they use. Okay. That uh, Lily Safra murdered her fourth husband, um, uh, Edmund Safra. And I would just like to point out that Forbes does not call it a conspiracy theory <laughs> that Lily Safra murdered her second <laughs> husband. <laughs> And we'll kind of go through that and, you know, just kind of the mysterious circumstances of, um, of their deaths. Uh, and Lily Saffer has uh, litigated a fair bit on, on this issue. But, you know, it, Yogi was Googling Lily Saffer earlier. And if you do that, you just find a bunch of charity bullshit. Yeah, she um, recently, as of about an hour ago, Forbes posted that she's donating $22 million to that uh, French uh, tragedy that is the uh, obelisk of uh, Catholic... Uh, uh, priest rape <laughs> the Notre Dame fire that's right and I thought it was ironic that the uh, money that she got from lighting her husband <laughs> on fire went to repairing the damage caused by another fire what was that was that husband uh, Irish did she did she kill a fighting Irish to restore Notre Dame <laughs> no that would be poetic but uh, Safra is is not oh, an Irish last fight, name fire or fire <laughs> Wait, she just yeah. kept the last name of the husband she killed? Yeah. The most recent husband. Right. So, and, you know, oh. she's obviously she's been married four times. We live in a patriarchal society. She's been through four last names, but we're just going to call her Lily Saffer throughout this so that we're not bouncing back and forth from whatever her surname was at the time of whichever marriage. Okay. So, okay. What was uh, her first name? What was she born? She was born Lily Watkins. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's kind of Irish. Yes. Oh, uh, wait, but Saffron. Never mind. <laughs> But uh, so I guess we could just kind of go through this chronologically then. Uh, the story, oh, and I should mention. So I read this book, uh, Gilded Lily by Isabel Vincent. And uh, you were saying it's been banned in Brazil. Yeah, there was an article that says that uh, this book was banned in Brazil. And the uh, essentially Lily Safra used her political ties to make it so that you couldn't have access to this book that talks about how what a piece of shit Lily Safra is in the country that she's currently residing in. Well, to be fair... We do this podcast about billionaires. There's 2,000-some in the world, and you know we don't know when we'll finish, but I, I do think we should thank Lily Safra for making us have to do two fewer episodes <laughs> <laughs> before we'll be finished with all well, this. Well, she's a worker. Yeah, you know, she exactly. helps out. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, so uh, the book, again, Gilded Lily by Isabel Vincent, I, I do recommend it. It's, it's quite interesting. Um, and, and it goes through these two uh, mysterious deaths, but it just kind of tells the story, and... Uh, uh, Lily Saffer, her father was a guy named Wolf Watkins. Again, she's born Lily Watkins. And Wolf Watkins uh, leaves London in the 1920s. He's a, a Jewish guy, Ashkenazi Jewish, leaves London to seek his fortune in South America. 
you know, he originally ends up in a, in Uruguay, but then he moves to Brazil. He moves uh, just outside the uh, of Rio de Janeiro. And uh, it's interesting, essentially during World War II, Brazil is under a fascist dictatorship, the Vargas dictatorship. Mm-hmm. They've come so uh, far. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the wire. Everything comes full circle. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, the Vargas dictatorship, he's a very interesting character. Um, essentially he's like close to, you know, Hitler and Mussolini at the start of the war, but then of course they get their asses kicked. So he, uh, knows where the wind is blowing right, right. and, and, uh, kisses up to, you know, the U S and, and, uh, and NATO and all that. Um, but, but essentially during world war II, Wolf Watkins makes his, uh, fortune because, uh, Brazil is uh, doing gas rationing, like fuel rationing, the way a lot of um, countries were during World War II. So he gets a guy, Wolf, Wolf Watkins, Lily, uh, Lily Saffer's father, uh, meets a guy in the government, and they strike up a, a basically a corrupt deal, which is this guy in the government is managing, I guess, the fuel supply for, I think, Brazil's trains or something like that. Okay. And so this guy, uh, oh yeah, Wolf Watkins has like a, a rail carriage repair business, so these trains will come, uh, these government trains will come there to be repaired, but then they'll be loaded up with fuel, hmm. which uh, wolf, like fuel barrels, right, which right. Uh, Wolf Watkins will sell on the black market yeah. and then split the profits. Gotcha. So essentially he strikes a deal with a hmm. Brazilian government guy to uh, get around the rationing of fuel. And this makes him a fortune. I bet. You know? hmm. So, you know, he's... Uh, so he's fucking stealing gas from... So what, where... The Brazilian was, government, basically. Yeah, so where is the fuel going? Just more in... Is just moving around from station to station, essentially? Or? It's, it's being sold on the black market. Uh, Wolf Watkins had, like, some black market connections from his, like, time in Uruguay. He was oh. doing, like, various kind of, like, mm. sm- low smuggling stuff, essentially. Right, right. However, those but, black market oil trains were running on time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, you know, his daughter, Lily Saffer, was born 1934. Um, and she grows up in like relative luxury again, you know, he, he grows up rich cause of this deal. And, um, essentially she attends like a Brit, Amer- a British American school. Um, I believe in Rio. Uh, so she speaks, Lily Safra speaks Spanish, French, uh, Portuguese, English. Uh, and she attends this school, um, uh, 1945 to 51. She's a real Buddha judge. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she's, uh, she's teased about her nose a little bit. Uh, while she's at the school, but uh, sh- so she gets like an early nose job before her debutante really uh, premiere. In, Again, uh, the importance of bullying. <laughs> you really have to. You got to manage it. Wait, she got a nose job in like '54. Yeah. Uh, yes. In in, in, Bra- in Brazil, yeah. Is that that that's that's a real like shot in the dark? <laughs> well, they were they were rich enough, I think. Yeah, in early '50s. Uh, I think like 51 or 50. So she was in the the Brazilian 1%. Yeah, basically sure. she yeah. was a one percenter. She's yes. never not been in the Brazilian one percent. And that's that's the interesting thing. So she attends this you know private English boarding school, and um, uh, essentially she has like some boyfriends early on. But her parents really set her up to marry a rich guy. Like you know she falls in love with like kind of a middle class guy, mm-hmm. and her parents actually take her out of the country to get him away from this boy. Really? They take her to like I think Uruguay. Because essentially they know like some wealthier dude they can set her up with, you know? I just love the notion of like, hey, you can't love this poor fuck, so we're going to take you away from them. A real, real fucking family love right there. I mm-hmm. also like that her conclusion was like, all right, well, I'm going to kill him. 
<laughs> no, that's not the first one. These so, are the boyfriends. These yeah. are early on. No, but no, the, no, the I first mean, marriage. Like, they're like, okay, well, you're going to have to marry a rich guy. And she's Talk like, the mic down. You're, you're going to marry a rich guy. And she's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be killing them. But <laughs> <laughs> I won't. <laughs> if you make me. I'll, I'll, I'll marry them, but, you know, they're going to die at my hand. <laughs> Wolf Watkins never truly renounced his membership okay. in the Brazil Communist Party. <laughs> Or the picture is starting to, even now, is starting to become clear. Yeah, you know? yeah, certainly. If you're folks, um, we're going to force you to marry someone. You might start you know, nose job, mm. uh, scaring off the boyfriend. Right, right. You know, forced right. marriage. This is how you build a psychopath. Yeah. But so they, yeah, they take her to Uruguay on like a vacation, like a long family vacation to get her out of Rio, right. you know, and away from this middle class boy. And it's there that she marries in 1952. She uh, she marries Mario Cohen, hmm. um, and uh, this is like he has a he comes from a family manufacturing fortune in uh, Brazil. They're plumbers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Jewish plumbers. <laughs> what? How do you get plumbing though? Mario. <laughs> manufacturing it's a me. Mario. <laughs> yeah. Automatically. Yeah. Why not? It's a me, Cohen. Oh no! These locks aren't cut too thin. <laughs> it's a me, Mario. My wife's nose. It's a perfect. <laughs> he he shot fireballs to kill her fourth husband. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, Mario Cohen is uh, uh, her husband. Ninety uh, 19- hosiery magnate. <laughs> Yes. According to Wikipedia. What the fuck is hosiery? I assume it's like pantyhose. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, this is how... He was a magnate of it. Do you know how embarrassing I am? I, I have that in my note, but I didn't want to say it <laughs> because I have no idea what it is. <laughs> so I was like, if I just say he's a manufacturing fortune. <laughs> Come on, Sean. And then I won't be mercilessly roasted by my co-hosts when I say he's a hosiery. <laughs> I like that we've scared you into not saying things on the podcast at this point. I do avoid the words that I know I'm going to mispronounce now. We, we let you say Uruguay. So. Yeah, you got away with that one. <laughs> I'm going to see uh, Lily's surgeon and get my fucking pronunciations <laughs> changed. Get the vocal cords done just right so that I pronounce every word correctly. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, but so she marries Mario Cohen, 1952. Uh, their parents set them up. Uh, she's about 18 years old. We mentioned, yeah, born 1934, uh, married by 1952 to a, a pretty wealthy family in Brazil, and they start having children right away. She has three children with him. She has her first child, 1953. Um, and, and so she, uh, Again, she grew up relative, relatively well off. I would say, yeah, Brazilian 1%. So she has, like, this very expensive shopping habits. Like, she spends thousands on lingerie uh, to the point where I think he, like, got very angry and tore some of them up in front of her. And oh, they really? have these kinds of arguments early on, you know. Um, but essentially, they're, like, living in Uruguay and... Um, Lily finds it very boring. She's a high society type. She wants to go back to Rio de Janeiro where all these things are happening. Before you continue, though... No, like, spending too much money is a contentious thing in relationships, but spending too much money on lingerie is Mm -hmm. only for the other person involved. You know what I mean? People don't get lingerie and go, I'm wearing this for the beach. You know what I mean? So there's got to be something more to this fucking lingerie nonsense. I'm telling you. 
Her husband uh, ripped it up by putting it on his head and then eating a mushroom, so he became giant. <laughs> Man, I shouldn't have made that Mario joke. It's, it's made our podcast 80% stupider. Um, he opposes changing it to Indigenous People's Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Mussolini has been overthrown. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways. It uh, can't be a genocide uh, because the indigenous people weren't a real civilization. (laughs) 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 Wahoo! That was solid. Nice to Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, fucking, uh, Mario Cohen. Oh yeah. So Lily's bored. She's in Uruguay with this kind of boring guy in a boring city. Rio's the real party scene. She yeah. wants to come back. She's got three kids. She's bored. Uh, her father dies 1962 and, uh, that's when she really wants to return to Rio. Um, so what she does is, uh, she leaves her husband, Mario Cohen for Alfredo Monteverde. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Alfredo Monteverde is the uh, founder of a Brazilian company called Ponto Frio, which is something cold. Mm-hmm. Basically, they made their fortune mainly selling refrigerators to the Brazilian. Oh, not port. cheese? Yes. Uh, Ponto Frio. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Yogi, it perishes. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You got to put the cheese somewhere. <laughs> Have you have you left Alfredo sauce uh, out in the hot Brazilian sun? Well, this is how this is how Lily eventually murdered her husband. This is how it happens. <laughs> Anyways, the point here um, is that uh, uh, Lily Safra um, uh, she leaves. Well, she starts an affair. So she's married to this first guy, in 1952. Uh, but she like you know what's she gonna do if she leaves him? She doesn't really you know she doesn't want to be a divorcee. It's kind of uh, right, taboo right. in those days. Uh, you know she doesn't have any money. So she meets this guy, Alfredo Monteverde, who's even even richer than her first husband. Yeah, he's got a sexy which is, name. It's the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, she meets this Trade guy, up, girl. even richer than her first husband. So uh, she's married in 1952, first husband. By 1964, she started an affair with, yourself. with who will be her second husband. Uh, they're dating in 1964, and uh, they're married by 1965. Um, yeah, so if she had an affair to start that relationship, yes. I'm assured that that lingerie tearing up shit must have been some, you were looking at that you know, Uruguay pool boy too much. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to have been some sort of, like, um, Mario being mad at some some jealousy type of thing. Listen here, you nasty bitch. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put on my raccoon hat and stomp the shit out of you. <laughs> I'm going to smash you like a fucking brick. <laughs> yeah, Lily Safra's original last name was Peach. <laughs> Mario's drunk later. <laughs> Princess, are you there? <laughs> I've been calling. <laughs> I know we are separated, but I made a mistake. <laughs> Why are you in another castle? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a feed you to Yoshi. <laughs> They'll never find your remains. <laughs> he signs the divorce papers. Dun, 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 dun. 
No, yeah. Luigi, we're going to the strip club. Bitches, man. But regardless, uh, no, I'm gonna hang myself while I'm editing this. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that if I if I fuck up enough in riffing, I can make it Andy's job to edit the episode. <laughs> Are you gonna add more riffs in post? <laughs> okay, so these I'm gonna edit good. like half of it, and then I'm gonna send that off while I hang myself, so that you guys still have something to work with. <laughs> um, but so Mario Cohen. <laughs> Uh, um, he he leaves or no he gets left he gets cucked basically, uh, but um, <clears throat> uh, but Alfredo uh, pa- uh, Monteverde is a pretty fascinating character. Uh, essentially, his family flees Romania. They're like a, a Jewish family, I believe Ashkenazi. Uh, they flee Romania shortly before you know the invasion and the war and all that. Right. But they were a rich family in Romania, so what they do is they have like stashes of gold bars that they're able to take out of the country. Uh, then they end up in England, but like during the war, England like freezes the gold. But then after the war, they're able to get the gold. So they have this, you know, va- they, 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 they found a way to thaw it. <laughs> they have this fortune of gold. And uh, so they're in, uh, they moved to Brazil. Uh, and then, I mean, they wanted to go to the United States. The United States wouldn't let them in. So they go to Brazil. They're in Brazil after the war. They have these gold bars. And so Alfredo comes up with the idea of doing essentially like import-export. And primarily what he uses the gold, he makes his fortune on refrigerators. Hmm. Uh, Like uh, he uses the gold bars to buy refrigerators from the United States, then sell them to Brazil's middle class, lower class, uh, particularly on credit. Like he makes a lot of money extending credit to kind of poorer people who just didn't have refrigerators. It's like a a car manufacturer. Yeah, there you go. And uh, so he makes a good fortune doing this, and then it's the company's Pont- uh, Ponto Frio. Their mascot is a penguin, which washed up on a Brazilian beach at the time and then died two days later. What? <laughs> and then he had it stuffed, <laughs> and that was their mascot. I thought I think it would be fun if for their uh, Ponto Frio mm-hmm. mascot, they made it like this kind of schlubby penguin that's riding mm-hmm. on a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> all right so ponto frio is uh is how he makes his fortune and again he makes a good fortune primarily on the refrigerators thing but also there's like allegations that he's doing like gold smuggling because important thing happens 1964 uh there's a military coup in brazil and then they're run by a military dictatorship until the mid 80s lots of corruption but uh they're very strict on currency controls so the the elite need a way to get their money out of the country. So he apparently also makes some money, you know, like helping them with the gold smuggling and all this shit. But regardless, he's one of the richest men in Brazil. uh, And uh, he takes uh, Mario Cohen's wife or Lily leaves her husband, Mario uh, for uh, Alfredo Monteverde. So Lily becomes a gold digger Mm -hmm. to a guy that was an actual gold smuggler. Yes. Wow. Wow. It sounds like she doesn't have to dig. (laughs) It was there all. It's up. already out Just of the ground. <laughs> but so Lily Safra uh, leaves Mario Cohen for uh, uh, Alfredo Monteverde, and the marriage is good at first. Um, he he sets her up in a boutique store uh, in Rio, 
she's excited because they get to go back to Rio. The store is called Galafi, and it uh, sells imported jewelry. But it's basically like he's extremely rich. Lily's bored, so she needs something to do. It's like, why is any business in Williamsburg open? Right, right, <laughs> because right. Because somebody... they're extremely profitable. <laughs> Everyone wants to buy uh, a 1940s pilot jacket for five thousand dollars <laughs> no listen i need a 1930s uh vera wong uh scarf only if it's 40 grand that's what i need today <laughs> yeah the rent here is fifteen thousand a day but uh we sold three jackets last month so <laughs> i think we're actually just about to uh, become profitable <laughs> and what sean's mentioning the store that she's running a mm. lot of her um prowess today as a philanthropist is loaning out her uh, extensive jewelry collection to museums and stuff and so i think this is where her collection begins essentially yeah and so it's interesting like just another uh, thing about alfredo is like most people in the book uh like his former employees say he was very good to them and uh you know, he uh, extended people credit and gave people a lot of money, but he was a manic depressive. Mm. So that's an interesting part of the story where he'll go through these manic How episodes. nice of him to give people credit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, he'll go through these manic episodes where he's like, you know, Hey, let's, let's open a giant thing here. And oh, I don't care how much it costs. And then his accountants will have to like walk it back later. He's you know? like, everybody gets debt. And then like a few weeks later, he's like, I don't think anyone should get debt. <laughs> um, you know, and, and of course he's like, um, a mate, one of the richest people in Brazil. He has to kind of play footsie with the military dictatorship, even though his, what well, like at least People who knew him say his sympathies were with the poor, but he's right, also right. worth three hundred million. Yeah. So, oh know. yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, that guy's the most sympathetic to the poor. Um, but so Alfredo, uh, uh, basically, oh, and another interesting thing, he used to drive around in an ambulance, which is a trick that what? they still do in in Italy. <laughs> like he he gets an ambulance, and because he wants to like have a short commute, he'll just have them turn the lights wow. on so people. <laughs> And I heard like what happened in Italy is people were dying in ambulances because every Italian driver got so cynical to politicians oh doing that God. shit. <laughs> they just wouldn't what? pull over for ambulances. <laughs> what a fucking shoot. <laughs> but um, so that was his little trick. But uh, very sympathetic to the poor. This man. Yeah. <laughs> that uses loves them. <laughs> But so they're married uh, 65, and it's important to note, according to his family uh, and some friends, in 1966, he's in the middle of a depressive episode. He's uh -huh. on a very strong cocktail of medication, kind of on and off throughout most of his life. But he's in a heavily medicated state in a depressive episode, 1966, where he signs a will that excludes, for the most part, his mother and his sister, among others, um, and that's significant because, you know, we mentioned those gold bars. Well, it was the entire family's wealth. Uh, so the startup capital came from him, his mother, and his sister, who took all these gold bars out of uh, Romania. So, and it's also very uncharacteristic because he loved his, he was closest to his sister, closer than anyone else in the world, very close to his mother. So he signs this will where essentially Lily Safra gets everything in 1966. And then it's... Uh, uh, kind of interesting because they, they keep on with their marriage, but sometime in 1969, he uh, gets tired of her and wants to divorce her. Uh, so Alfredo wants to divorce Lily Safra, and he starts telling people 
uh, I'm gonna divorce her you know like lots of business associates and other friends know that the divorce is coming uh, and then he is mysteriously shot Wow <laughs> and so the actual circumstances of that are he comes home uh, from a work nap uh, in 1969. Oh, did you say a work nap? Well, he's working. At, he goes to the office in the morning. He comes home from lunch for lunch to take a nap. Okay, gotcha. So he comes back to his his right. like mansion house, 1969. He comes home to take a nap, and uh, essentially, uh, what happens is that uh, he is shot twice <laughs> while he is taking a nap, and this is declared a suicide. Which uh, well. <laughs> You know what's really suspicious mm-hmm. is uh, there was an ambulance right there. Mm-hmm. Did not come to his aid. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did they know he was napping? Yeah. And so it just That's like, a great question. No, how no, did like, they, they know he was napping? Was though? he found dead on a couch or something? He, he took off his shoes. He lay down on his bed to take a nap, probably. He That's wrote, exactly how I would kill my husband. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did He did some heroin. Wait till he takes wrote his a, midday nap. Yep. He, he wrote yeah. a letter about how uh, he just doesn't find satisfaction from writing music anymore. <laughs> uh, he put on an REM record, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, did another bump of heroin, and then a uh, shotgun in the old mouth, and the electrician found him three days later. Do they know what weapon it was? Kurt, <laughs> it was Courtney Love's shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it was a revolver. So there's a. Re- it's kind of a oh. weird story with this revolver. Like apparently they kept this revolver in the house for protection, but nobody could ever identify who actually owned the thing. So whoever killed him knew there was a revolver in the house and got that revolver. And I mean, look, the thing is also he's a manic depressive, so right. the suicide story kind of fits well enough but there's a it, bunch it of fits w- up to the first shot <laughs> <laughs> right 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 there's a bunch of weird details um and uh so an interesting thing is that lily's brother uh artigans uh, lily has a, co- a few brothers i'm not sure if it's two or three but one of her brothers just happened to work as a security guard for the company and uh, all of lily's family's expenses were being taken care of by the company ponto frio mm-hmm. so um and he worked as you know a security guard and he just happened to be at the house at the time of the murder lily's brother was at the house at the time of the murder but then once the body was found for some reason he was not there anymore oh <laughs> interesting so it is just kind of like one of those funny little stories um and, and so basically the way to go get a snack <laughs> Uh, he uh, shoots self twice in the chest. Uh, a coroner actually looks at this, finds that uh, he has no traces of gunpowder on his hands in the autopsy, which you would expect to <sighs> yeah. f- expect to be there if you shot yourself. He yeah. also said that based on the angle, he would have had to sh- have shot himself with his left hand. However, he was right-handed. Yeah. So there's a ton of. I'll tell you exactly things. how this happened. Lily Safra wore some nice lingerie, brought in her husband, told her to take off his shoes put him on the bed, started to get all frisky, mm-hmm. and then bang, bang, in the chest. And listen, why is the brother gone? Because the brother doesn't want to hear Lily Safra banging her husband at this time. You know what I mean? So he hears them fucking and goes, I got to get the fuck out of here. And then shot to the chest, and then Chekhov's gun's gone. I'm hearing anti-capitalist direct action. <laughs> <laughs> Using the gun that no one owns. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I bet it was? He, um, he thought, you know what? If I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna I'm gonna everyone does it with their dominant hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna go goofy. Yeah. I gotta <laughs> You know what? This I gotta the last thing out. I ever do. So yeah. I'm just gonna make it interesting for them. Yeah, and then he was like and then he fucked it up the first time because he was doing it with his left hand and he's like, fuck, I gotta shoot again. 
I just love when suicide is like a mystery. You know what I mean? Like it's like, well, they killed themselves, but they did it in a way that was kind of like untraditional. Yeah, and so it's an interesting thing where essentially he's found dead uh, by the housekeeper and uh, his adopted son at 3 p.m., but it is uh, 9.45 p.m. before the police are alerted. And so, like, this is, according to the book, the uh, the chief counsel, the chief lawyer of the company, uh, is the one who reports it to the police. Mm-hmm. And they speculate that he might have been calculating that essentially Lily is going to take over the company and the fortune because right. of the aforementioned will. So a lot of Ponto Frio employees start kind of taking their orders from Lily because they recognize, oh, this is the person who controls all the money now. We should probably, like, um, you know, fall in line with what she wants. And another interesting thing that happens there, according to the book, there was alleged about $80,000. What does that have to do with uh, uh, them calling the police six hours after he shot? Essentially, they wanted to get all their story together and like kind of manage the scene before the right. police come in and start investigating and taking pictures. Because all and, the employees uh, know that Lily Saffron now will run the show instead of going, hey, what's the cop? You know, instead of trying to get them both. They still want their jobs, and if if like Lily Safra gets away with this, then they're all shit out of luck when it comes to working things. Are they are they all in his house? What? Well, essentially, like, um, was he like, hey, everyone, come over, we're no, napping. But, but like the housekeeper, the people that work for us uh, on the Lily, estate and okay. stuff. Lily all of the is employees. Lily is called. Are over. those employees right? I yeah, forgot yeah. when you're rich, you have employees <laughs> in your house. Uh, but yeah, so Lily's kind of called over, and she takes charge of the scene, and um, uh, essentially, according to the book, uh, Gilded Lily, there were allegedly about eighty. 000- I just got it. Allegedly, about eighty thousand dollars <laughs> worth of payments were made uh, mm-hmm. to police and investigators and uh, other such people for a job well done. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you don't tip your cop. But so essentially the detectives rule that this is a suicide and uh, various lawsuits are launched to try and get this overturned. But again, this is the Brazilian military dictatorship where essentially the court system worked. Whoever has the most money wins. Lily Saffer gets access to the fortune. And this is all just kind of like, hey, it was a suicide. Let's not let's not look at it too hard, even though we mentioned, you know, the coroner and some other kind of very strange things. Um, But uh, you know, you want to know what my bet is? Mm -hmm. After she had her divorce, she was like, this is way too much paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I want to start fucking other dudes, I need to figure out another route. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's this unidentified gun at this house. How do I use that in my <laughs> new way of leaving my current husband? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and, you know, it is just kind of interesting where it's like, had he been able to divorce her, like, I'm sure he would have given her something, but the family was clearly by this point accustomed to having all of their expenses paid for by this massively successful company. Right. So they get the whole enchilada as long as he's bumped off. You know? I, I don't think she would have gotten something. I think that the if if this murder from Lily Safra is, you know, allegedly unconfirmed confirmed, I think that Lily Safra could see that if he's going to divorce me, I'm not going to get shit. I mean, think about this. This is what, 1960-something, right, Sixty nine. yeah. So a, a rich dude in 1960 ain't giving his ex-wife shit. I mean, like, especially with Brazilian court laws. No, that's not happening. Well, apparently he, like, had a series of girlfriends and he usually took care of them, but I'm just not sure if he would have done it to the extent that he was worth, according to the book, about $300 million. Wow. So all of that goes to Lily Safra. And it's interesting, like, um, uh, 
essentially the other thing is uh she immediately adopts uh his adopted son carlos like he was sterile but he adopted a son Mm -hmm. under brazilian law at the time a um a child got half of the inheritance oh sure so she adopts him and then immediately he's nine years old right she gets his inheritance as well so she really set it up quite well to essentially just take this entire fortune and put it in her own hands right right and uh if you just want to hear some psychopath shit uh, she throws a festive reception at their mansion um, uh, to, you know, honor the memory of uh, of her late husband. Right. Uh, she invites his sister, uh, but as she gets there, and it's mostly like Lily's friends, and they all seem to be like partying and having a good time. <laughs> and uh, oh, and then uh, she says, uh, "I there every Lily tells uh, his sister all the rooms are full." But uh, I made up the bed where he was murdered in, oh, and you could what? sleep there. <laughs> And she, uh, I t- imagine, like right after she says that, she hands the sister a champagne flute, and then lo- locks eyes with her and starts pouring champagne <laughs> until it starts overflowing into the cup. Um, but she she stays in a hotel instead. Yeah, what a fucking psychopath. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's all pretty fascinating. But um, uh, just kind of going on from here, less than a month after his death. Uh, Lily sells the house and moves to London. And London's significant because Edmund Safra will become her fourth husband. And Edmund Safra third? was... Fourth. Well, we're, we'll get to the third. And But Edmund Safra was a major banker. He's from the Safra banking clan, which is like a, a Jewish banking clan. It, originally in Syria. Okay, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, they really exist. I there swear. You're going to talk... All right. You're going to tell us okay. about the money changers? Come on, Sean. Let's be honest here. Don't be so... So biased, man. Come on. You got to grow out of this, buddy. <laughs> fucking say that. And then like the Daily Stormer is in our recommended podcast list <laughs> next episode. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you guys uh, like listening to Audible, uh, they've got this great book, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. <laughs> really, really interesting stuff about, uh, about some, some of the figures in this story. Wait, does Lily what? only marry Jews? Yes. <laughs> Enter Grubstakers at checkout. <laughs> Audible, why are you canceling our sponsorship deal? <laughs> we know that books are the key foundation of knowledge, and we were trying to teach our listeners right. more knowledge. That's right. This, your brand can only be enhanced by being associated with the truth. Sean's Te- just teach been, the controversy. <laughs> they realize that it's Sean who's been emailing them an MP3 file of himself reading the protocols. <laughs> <laughs> they block my email, and then I think that's them canceling the sponsorship deal. Uh, but yeah, so... Edmund Safra, his his family legacy, it goes back to like I believe the 19th century in in Syria, and um, essentially they're like <clears throat> uh, the bankers originally in Aleppo, then they set up a branch in Be- Beirut, Aleppo. What? <laughs> then they set up a branch in Beirut, and um, they uh, moved to Brazil uh, after the war. And it's interesting where you know we mentioned the military dictatorship. They get this reputation for discretion. Like Edmund Safra, he takes the family fortune and he really makes his own by setting up a bank in Geneva um, in 1983, I believe. Um, and essentially, this, the the entire idea is, you know, discretion, silence. Like they, if uh, 
they really kind of take care of the money for the elite in Brazil in the military dictatorship. They like they won't send any mailings or any letters. Uh, if you call their office, they'll just say hello and they won't identify their office. You know, really? because you can get arrested if you're like sneaking money offshore. You know, so he's he sets up this kind of uh, uh, place for the the wealthy to launder and hide their money. And he's involved in some other uh, shady stuff, but but that's kind of like this. Uh, he really makes his money in the '80s as a um, a Swiss banker, or no, sorry, he sets it up in uh, the 1960s, or no, 56. Yes, in 1956, uh, Edmund Saffer sets up the Trade Development Bank in um, in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, it's one of their two uh, main industries, I think: <laughs> uh, banking and army knives. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, taking the gold from the families, unlike Alfredo, that were not able to get away. <laughs> um, Using army knives. Uh, but so vertical uh, vertical integration. <laughs> but so this this Edmund Safra is significant because Edmund Safra was Alfredo's banker. Oh. So she starts. So there's no way of they proving. Have to remove th- the army knife attachment that takes out teeth. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the Grub Stakers podcast does not represent the views of all the Grub Stakers hosts on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for whichever one of us tries to go mainstream after this podcast fails. It's going to be me. I'm telling you. It's going to be me. I promise it. I'm sorry for getting you canceled in 10 years, Yogi. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to point them to this episode where I'm going to let them know I stand by everything we said only because idiocy is the only truth to power in stupidity. Hmm. <laughs> um, but so regardless, uh, it's interesting where there's no way of proving this, but uh, Edmund Safra is Alfredo's banker and people believe they started an affair before his murder or suicide. Uh, th- they believe that, and the evidence is kind of convincing in, in that. I mean, it's circumstantial, but essentially, what Isn't happens? All suicide, a kind of murder. <laughs> Good point, Andy. <laughs> Folks, if you're feeling suicidal, make sure to check out Audible promo code, <laughs> the protocols, nineteen fifteen. <1915. laughs> um, but so the point was essentially. Uh, the circumstantial evidence that's kind of convincing is that immediately after Alfredo dies, um, some very complicated financial engineering goes on that... Did they leave him out in the sun? Go on. Some very complicated financial engineering occurs that secures Lily's stake in the fortune. Essentially, like, within five days of his death, his mother has been removed of power of attorney over his accounts. Really? Within five days of his death. Uh, within 30 days, Lily is in um, London, where Edmund is. He right. goes back and forth from there in Geneva and uh, um, and Brazil. Um, but so, and, you know, these other kind of things where it's like, Again, this is a $300 million fortune at the time, which would be like billions probably today. And so it's a very complicated company, a lot of moving parts. Lily's probably had no experience running this thing. However, she's able to like get the money quickly offshore into Switzerland accounts and uh, have it all very firmly under her control within a month, Hmm. essentially. So it's believed that because Edmund Safra was his banker, she was able to shack up with him and then be like, Edmund, can you take care of all this financial shit? And then Edmund does. And in fact, later on, Edmund's kind of controlling the money and Lily's for a period at least 
uh, he has a lot of power over her because sure. she, he essentially is now controlling uh, her ex-husband's fortune. Yeah. <clears throat> and let's be honest, Lily Safra eats that butt. I mean, come on. She can't be spinning all these money games with these boys without a couple of ass plays going on downtown. Oh, yeah, she's totally a freak. Come on, let's be honest here. Um, and so uh, the, the the story with um, Edmund Safra is... Um, <laughs> you can't dig gold without digging butt. <laughs> Burn gold. Yeah. Uh, is there is there a tool on the Swiss Army knife for that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it's to clean your teeth afterwards. <laughs> oh, why is my shit worse than the anti-Semitic shit, huh? How come eating butt yeah, is somehow just... more dirty than than uh, insulting an entire race of human beings? Lily's like uh, Alfredo. Do you like to have your ass eaten? He's like, of course. How do you think I got that gold out of Romania? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, yeah, so um, uh, Edmund Safra, we mentioned he, he uh, founds this uh, uh, trade development bank in Geneva, uh, Switzerland, 1956. He sets up um, uh, uh, Republic National Bank in New York in 1966. Uh-huh. Uh, Robert Kennedy is actually there at the ribbon cutting. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> I wonder what he's doing there. <laughs> Thinking, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking, I should... Uh, I should talk about social democracy and oppose the Vietnam War. <laughs> and uh, I don't really think the Central Intelligence Agency would have any problem with me doing that. Uh, but I, yeah. think, I think he was uh, looking at, um, uh, what was it, Safra? Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, he was like, oh, man, this loser is going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in that family gets fucking killed. Mm. Uh, but so uh, Edmund Safra, he sells actually his Swiss bank to American Express in 1983 for about half a billion dollars, a little more than that. Um, and then he kind of gets pushed out there and there's actually like they kind of slander him in the press and, and this kind of stuff. Uh, just kind of like, you know, business dispute uh, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's interesting Oh, and I mentioned, so Alfredo's sister and his mother, uh, they do sue Edmund and Lily in British court because they realize that the Brazilian court's going to give them nothing. Sure. Um, and basically, uh, they have to settle out of court. Hmm. Uh, so they do settle out of court for undisclosed terms. But they, you know, they win. They get the money. Eventually, this is all cleared. Dollar, dollar, and, bill, y'all. Um, but so an interesting thing happens where Edmund Saffer, he's from a Sephardic uh, Jewish uh, community. Uh, whereas um, uh, Lily Safra is Ashkenazi Jewish. So his family is very conservative in that they only want him to marry a Sephardic Jew. Sure. So they don't it, want mixing of the tribes. Exactly. So Lily Safra, her next plan is essentially she uh, starts another affair in order to make her husband jealous. <laughs> uh, in 1971, she meets a guy in a dentist's office, uh, uh, Samuel uh, Bendahand. Uh, is another businessman, um, and so she separates from Edmund briefly because Edmund doesn't want to get married. Uh, he she shacks up and marries this guy uh, after six weeks, um, <clears throat> but then she leaves him because Edmund gets jealous and is like, "Okay, fine, I'll marry you now that you've shacked up with another guy." So she marries him for six weeks, leaves him, and then Edmund is actually so embittered about this that uh, 
they're uh, they convince him to fly to New York. This is Lily's third husband. They mm-hmm. convince him to fly to New York to negotiate the terms of his um of the divorce. Right. As soon as he gets to New York, he is arrested and uh, spends a night in Rikers Island. What? Uh, where he's uh, shares a, a, a bed, a room, I should say, with a uh, self-proclaimed murderer and sees a guy throw himself off the uh, top floor of uh, this holding cell uh, after just a night in Rikers, and then he posts bail the next day. But this is basically, they have him arrested on trumped-up extortion charges, saying he's mm. like trying to get money during the divorce sure, negotiations. Sure, yeah. And uh, this like winds its way through the New York appeals court, and then they throw out the case. But it was essentially just Edmund Saffer had money, so he uh, got the guy who cucked him thrown in <laughs> yeah, Rikers right, Island. Yeah, right, right. Well, I'll say this. He's the one <laughs> husband whose ass was not eaten. I know that for a fact. <laughs> Maybe at Rikers, but not before then. Yeah. Um, but so Lily finally you think ma- like he got out of Rikers and then a few years later he was like thank God <laughs> Sean do you know what happens to that guy later on does he just exist in the world and is happy that this time with Safra is over he, she, he's interviewed for this book Gilded Lily and he says that he settles with her for a pittance uh, he hasn't remarried since um, he thinks yeah, his yeah. life yeah. is the pittance <laughs> Yeah, I understand why he wouldn't marry again. Yeah. He got married once after six weeks and was the worst decision of his fucking life. So he's mad. And, that, and knowing that he got off easy. Right, right. He, he wasn't killed. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag close Rikers. <laughs> That's true. You know, on Democracy Later, we did a bit where I think I wrote it or one of you guys wrote it, but it was like uh, on they're going to rent out Rikers Island mm-hmm. for like apartments in the future. And I think that will happen. I like. I know that was a dumb bit we did for a podcast no one listened to, and you can cut this handy. But like, I'm pretty sure at one point they're they're going to advertise Rikers as like a destination place to live because you got to think of the real estate or in New museum. York. Yeah, I mean, a museum could be, but I think that there's they want to make it a solar power plant. I think they're going to go the route of you can live here and experience the life of prisoners once lived. Like it will be like a. Ex, uh, escape room slash like historical visit type of thing you know what i mean now i'm just imagining fucking hipsters paying 30 dollars right. for like bread with a spoonful of gravy put on top of it but i think that white will bread happen. with gravy for 60 dollars the police will experience not being able to post bail dude i'm telling you there's this place in la and they're calling themselves prison with a z i think and oh it's like a place God. in like koreatown and it's just a place that looks like a prison and they're just serving fucking you know French fries with gravy and fucking an egg on top. Like, it's just basic bullshit hipster food. But the theme is it's a prison. And I'm telling you, man, the way that the current society is going is it's going into the deeper and darker aspects of society and normalizing it for mainstream fucking capital. It's it's horrendous. But I'm telling you, in about 10 to 15 years, we'll see you can rent a room at Rikers for eight grand and motherfuckers will line up for that shit. But what about the mass grave island that's near Rikers? Well, Wait, how much you think? They'll be an Airbnb. Oh, the okay. restaurant is <laughs> the restaurant is a is a Korean it's a Korean prison themed restaurant. So if you talk to any of your dinner guests, they'll break your thumbs. <laughs> I have thought about like going to that restaurant with just like an orange jumpsuit uh-huh. and just fucking stabbing everyone, <laughs> just fucking stab- going straight prison. What? I thought it was prison rules. What the fuck? <laughs> you go on Yelp. They're like, look, when you get into the restaurant, you have to establish your dominance <laughs> right, and right. attack the largest patron you see. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a Japanese-made restaurant. You guys don't know what that is. Do you? I don't know what that is. No. Oh, they have Japanese-made restaurants. 
where you get served by people dressed as maids. Oh, really? There's That's also right, other yeah. ones where it's men and they're dressed as butlers. Oh, int- oh, I, so have I just seen had that, a yeah. funny idea of yeah, whatever. Right, right, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'll have the chicken Alfredo, and uh, for dessert, could I get jumped into the Aryan Brotherhood? <laughs> uh, so Lily Saffer's third husband, Samuel Bandahan, uh, he, she gets rid of him after six weeks. He has to spend a long time fighting this frivolous extortion lawsuit, but eventually he wins, but he's like uh, kind of financially devastated. I mean, he's doing okay, but you know, he's not a multimillionaire, uh, or maybe he is. He's not a multi-multi-multi-millionaire. But he's uh, kind of embittered towards Edmund Safra, understandably. But sure. he like still has feelings for Lily, and he agreed to cooperate with this book essentially because Lily was like a high society person, and she would bring him around during these like six weeks of marriage and while they were dating, and everybody referred to him as like Lily's gigolo and stuff because <laughs> okay. he was like a thirties, early thirties, handsome-looking guy, you know. So they were like, "Oh, Lily's just using this spry young man to make Edmund jealous," you know. And he says that they were like passionately in love and they exchanged mm. all these letters he and was, stuff. He was doing some gold digging back. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah. But I think we can all agree that regardless of this uh, fourth uh, suicide murder thing, mm-hmm. Lily Safra, master manipulator of, of human beings and um, and that's that fucking, if you want to know why a person like that becomes a master manipulator, like Stephen mentioned the bullying in the private school, but that type of environment fucking breeds this type of humanity. Mm-hmm. It makes you want to Murder and kill your way to the top for societal status more than anything else. So those bullies, they have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Thank you, Uncle Ben. Yeah, I don't want to be a. Sec- also, I bet uh, Ben DeHaan eats pussy like a champ. <laughs> <laughs> not not well enough to keep himself out of Rikers Island. <laughs> <laughs> Like, if he was really putting it down, you think she would have put in a word or something. I mean, he might have been, Sean. You don't know. Yeah. He could have been thrown down. Yeah. He was just uh, a pawn. <clears throat> All right. So uh, Samuel Bendahan, his, uh, her third husband, is, is out of the picture. She's finally married with Edmund. You know, his family, Edmund's family, very much disapproves. Again, they're very conservative. They don't want him marrying outside of the Sephardic Jewish community. But... Uh, you know, he's so in love with Lily and they have like a wonderful life together. And it's it's interesting where essentially like he already had this banking fortune and with Lily's uh, dead husband's company, mm-hmm. they become one of the dominant uh, players in Brazil. And, you know, sure. they're billionaires at this point. And it's just important to note that essentially Ponto Frio uh, put ads in uh, basically every major Brazilian newspaper and TV station to the point where they could just have a company person call up any newspaper and be like, hey, don't run this story or we won't advertise with you. Right. And you don't even have to pay them. They just won't say it, you know. So they have a very dominant stranglehold on, like, the Brazilian media and, and all this kind of stuff. And um, you can just kind of go up through... Uh, if you want, you can look at kind of some of the shitty things Edmund Safra did. Like, they're, they, they set up um, some... They, they built some synagogue in New York. He had a mansion in New York for his New York bank, and uh, they they did, like, some... Syn- and, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> they did, like, some... Uh, they tried to build a synagogue for the Sephardic Jewish community, and then they did the... T- <laughs> it turns out it was a synagogue for the Ashkenazi Jewish community. <laughs> Apparently, it's mostly used by them. And they're like, you got punked. <laughs> Um, but they, they do the, the Trump thing where they have the contractor start building the thing and then they stiff him on the payments and then it's like, Hey, you're rich or we're rich. Sue us. You can't cause you're going to run out of money. Nice. Uh, so they do that kind of stuff. Um, 
and they also he buys up a mobbed up bank called Lafayette Bank Brooklyn in uh, in 1971. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know just kind of this stuff. He's also linked to a financier uh, named Willard Zucker who uh, set up these shell companies used for the Iran Contra scandal. Oh really? <laughs> so you know because so he has like a lot of those kinds of connections. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, life kind of goes on, um, uh, Edmund, oh, uh, Lily Saffra's son, Claudio, from her first marriage, dies in a car accident in 1989, so that affects her a, a fair bit, and, uh, from 1970... 1970- Why was she not, like, 100% in the will? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from 1978 onwards, um, uh, basically an Israeli firm in Geneva that was staffed by ex-Mossad was providing security for Edmund Safra because we mentioned, you know, he kind of has some shady dealings. So he is very paranoid about security, which will come in uh, just a second here. And uh, uh, so he's very paranoid about security. He has all these Mossad agents as his security guards and, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, what happens is in the early 90s, he's diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, Edmund Safra is. Aww. But him and Lily in 1996 move into an apartment in Monaco near the border with France. And uh, this is essentially where uh, things kind of, uh, <coughs> uh, kind of fall apart for the family. Because um, it's interesting. So he has Parkinson's. He's kind of degenerating, which is why it's like um, if, if she did kill him, I don't know. But it's like he was going to be dead soon anyway. Sure, so sure. I'm, but again, the circumstances are kind of weird. But so 1996, they moved to this Monaco apartment, and then they hire a nurse who's an American, a former Green Beret named Ted Marr. <laughs> uh, and uh, the circumstances of his death are basically this. Edmund Safra, uh, on December 3rd, 1999, they're in this Monaco apartment, and um, uh, Edmund Safra is there. And we imagine, you know, he needs this 24-hour nursing staff because he needs them to go to the bathroom. He gets right. vertigo because of the Parkinson's. Oh, and we should mention a few years before his murder, he signs a similar will to Lily's second husband, which basically cuts out his Saffer brothers and all these other people and gives everything to, to mm. Lily Saffer. Uh, and he's taken all these medications for Parkinson's, so he's kind of in a fog here. And he's, of course, degenerating. But he needs these nurses 24 hours, so they're in this Monaco apartment, uh, December 3rd, 1999. Uh, their new nurse, the American former Green Beret, apparently uh, shows up uh, and he has a stab wound. And he tells Edmund and his other nurse, who's there, there are two masked intruders in the apartment. Uh, hide, I'm going to get help. So Edmund and this other nurse go to the bathroom and they lock themselves in the bathroom. It's, it's like a fortress apartment, so it's very hard to get in. Uh, the undoing is it's also hard to get out of. Right, right. Uh, and then the, the story is very weird because Ted Marr, this other nurse, claims he didn't know how to alert help, so he sets a fire. And uh, this fire is supposed to alert the authorities and, you know, get help on the way. And um, it does, but uh, Monaco is, like, so quiet that essentially the police and firefighters show up and they hear that there's, like, a masked gunman in there. And they're like, yeah, we're not going in. Right, <laughs> and, right. and then um, and then the other thing happens where, like, um, uh, Edmund's uh, security chief rushes to the scene and the police arrest and detain him <laughs> because we imagine he has these 12 Mossad officers who are former Mossad who are, like, his security people. So one of them rushes to the scene. He gets detained. He's not allowed to go inside. Um, one of Edmund's butlers apparently had a key because they're in this bathroom that's like a safe you know uh what do you call it a panic room sure sure uh so they can't the firefighters couldn't even get in if they were in there 
Um, uh, but so he has a key, this butler, and they just ignore him and they don't let him go in, you know? And so essentially just like this fire is started and then they just like wait around outside for like two hours. And then eventually this, uh, uh, the nurse and Edmund die of carbon monoxide poisoning, uh, wow. after this fire is set and they wait in the bathroom and smoke comes in and they can die of carbon monoxide poisoning. And that's the end of Edmund Safra essentially. But the beginning of Lily Safra's reign. Um, and so it's just kind of like a very weird thing, um, where essentially, uh, important things to know is that Lily took the keys, uh, to the apartment away from all the employees shortly before the tragedy. (laughs) What? Uh, and the other thing, we mentioned these Mossad operatives. There was no guard on duty that night, hmm. which is like, again, they hired 11 or 12 Mossad, ex-Mossad as like full-time security staff. None of them were on duty that night. And this thing uh, says that he felt so safe in Monaco. He didn't have <laughs> uh, uh, people uh, on duty to uh, at night. Um, 11 agents. Yeah. You can't have one each night. I mean, come on. When are they going to sleep? It's a union issue. <laughs> they were, they're on, yeah, they're on strike. They were all busy planning the September 11th attacks. Oh <laughs> Look, we had two contracts going at <laughs> yeah. once. But yes, and then the other thing is that like... You know, you know what they were doing in the evening? Mm-hmm. Huh. Messing with the Zohan. <laughs> the surveillance tapes from that night have mysteriously disappeared. So essentially, like this nurse, we mentioned Ted Marr. Eventually, what he tells police is the, de- the detective interviews him in a hospital bed, and he doesn't believe that he was stabbed. And eventually, Ted Marr admits that he stabbed himself and set the fire to um, essentially be the hero and kind of like uh, take over... Um, you know, uh, Edmund's staff duties and become number one. And this is kind of the story they stick with. And then, um, you know, ever since then, uh, since then, Ted Mars got out of prison and said he was like a patsy or was set up and stuff. But he's kind of contradicted himself a lot. So people don't really understand. Understandably, yes. And, you know, he said that, you know, there were like masked men and when he went to Nice, France, and they like showed him pictures of his family and told him. How to get to Nice, France? It's uh, near the border. Oh, there. Oh, wait. Right after he stabbed himself? No, uh, before before this all goes down. Oh, okay. He says he was there, though he later breaks out of prison, but that's not really relevant. Okay, yeah, uh, that's what I saw. That is that he broke out of prison and went. And okay, all I'm, apprehended yes. niece. All I'm learning is that, like the Barry and Honey Sherman case, a billionaire is killed and fucking people can't figure it out even though there's fucking guards, uh, videotape that's disappearing, and fucking a whole slew of information that's just magically gone for no real reason. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting where essentially what happens is like, you know, uh, I don't I don't know, I don't think Lily killed this, uh, the Edmund. Mm-hmm. I think she killed her second husband for sure. Uh, but, um, but it's also something where essentially the, the Monaco police solved the thing and then it's such an exclusive place for rich people that it is much more convenient for them to just say hey this was a freak accident instead of hey this was a murder right you know so Mm. they don't want to look back at this and uh and the other thing is like edmund was partly very paranoid at this point in his life because he thought the russians were going to kill him because he testified in some money laundering case (laughs) against what an idiot (laughs) (laughs) and you know he had a lot of enemies so in the event that you know ted mark 
didn't act alone or there was actually masked people in the apartment that night. We don't know because, like I said, the security uh, cameras are gone. Right. But it's like it, the Monaco police have every incentive to just kind of stick with the story that we've essentially just told you here. Uh, so we don't know. But it is interesting. In 2005, a uh, novel called Empress Bianca is published. Uh, this is from like some English high society woman who wrote a, a book about Princess Diana. And it's like a, a very uh, clear uh, fictionalization of Lily Safra, where essentially she just changes her from like Br- Brazil, Brazilian <laughs> yeah. to Peruvian. Sure, sure, sure. Changes her husband from like Lebanese to fucking Iraqi changes or whatever. Changes to Alfredo to Pesto, yes. yeah. And so this novel, it's it's released in 2005, and it tells the story of a woman who murdered her second and fourth husbands <laughs> to steal their fortune, and. Um, <clears throat> And it's interesting where, like, essentially, as soon as it's published, Lily immediately sues over this book. <laughs> uh, but Lily's, uh, according to Gilded Lily, Lily's society friends uh, snap up all copies of the book before it's wow. banned or snap up a bunch of copies. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and they uh, share them among their high society peers. And apparently one went to Nancy Reagan <laughs> uh, because they all move in these same social circles and they, you know, they love gossip. And, and who doesn't? Uh, but so this book, the, the publisher... Um, Somewhere there's an astrologer with a copy of that book. <laughs> well, they need someone to read before the eyes wide shut parties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the publisher of that book agrees to pulp it, so they destroy all copies. But there are still some on like eBay for like a thousand. Oh, actually, no. Later, she sues and is able to release it in the United States. But libel laws are easier in the United Kingdom, so it's a problem there. And for all of our Patreon listeners, want you to know if we get enough money, we're gonna buy a copy of one of those books <laughs> off of eBay with the Patreon dollars you donate to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just other random things before we close out here. Uh, so Edmund, before he died, was on a cocktail that included uh, Xanax, uh, Clozaril, Depakote, Samir. Andy, do you know any of these drugs? Uh, I, I don't think I'm in on any of them currently. <laughs> you know, why, why do we always use multiple drugs as calling them cocktails? <laughs> like, at a certain point, a cocktail is not six pharmaceuticals. You know what I mean? You don't mix them together in a highball glass with vodka? <laughs> Not usually. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, um, because uh, Lily killed uh, one of the nurses, she actually did miss out on the silent assassin rating when she killed her husband. Because <laughs> 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 you actually have to complete the level without any civilian casualties. That's right. That's right. So it is uh, important. <laughs> maybe maybe on her fifth marriage, she can get the elusive. <laughs> Or she didn't know what that nurse was up to. Is she marriage. a big fan of Hitman? Yeah, she can start her next. She can start her sixth marriage in the tuxedo outfit, <laughs> which you unlock by doing silent assess. Um, but yeah, and, and just like other weir- weird stuff, HSBC uh, buys Edmonds' um, fucking uh, uh, New York bank. They buy it for like nine point eight five billion, and they buy it shortly before her death, uh, before his death. So mm-hmm. Lily inherits all of this money. Uh, maybe she pressured him to sell it. Um, and also his bank, uh, his New York bank, two Rep- uh, the, the Republic National Bank, uh, two of their executives were involved in running a $1 billion Ponzi scheme on Japanese investors. What? So it's like, you know, you could, you could, if you want, you could go through and kind of find all the, the various shady deals that they were involved in. But I think the guy was uh, kind of a piece of shit. So I don't, don't particularly miss him. He also, he disowned, he adopted her second, you know, they adopted his second, uh, her second husband's son, Carlos, mm-hmm. partly in order to secure the will. But Edmund kind of raised him as his own and then disowned him when uh, he married a Muslim woman. Wow. So, you know, I mean, he's... 
So I think we can we can close by making the argument that uh, <clears throat> Lily is a worker and has made a, a direct impact against capitalism. Uh, three cheers for Lily. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the nurse who lit the fire, named Ted Mar. Mm-hmm. New rule: Stop telling me your husband's not flammable. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he had money to burn, and now you're telling me that he's dead of carbon monoxide poisoning. This I'm a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Pollywall. I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. I'm Sean McCarthy. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you to our patrons. Check us out for uh, bonus episodes every week. We'll be back next week. This Bye. week, our episode is on Venezuela. That's right. So we'll see you over there. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Today we're lucky enough to be one of the few to see the preview of Christie's sale on the 14th of May in Geneva. And this sale includes 70 lots of jewels donated by Lily Safra. It's called Jewels for Hope. And in amongst these jewels there are 18 lots of pieces by jar, which means that it's the first time that such a number of jar jewels have come up for sale. And with me is Joanna Hardy, and we've had a look round, and Joanna's going to tell us a bit more about those pieces. Think what is really unique about it is that and very telling about the person who collected these is the way that she's got the best of the new and the best of the old now i'm just thinking about like what would a jewish mario do (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course (laughs) genie's out of the bottle italian mario has to fight himself as a boss battle (laughs) italian jewish mario Mario goes to an Italian restaurant and enjoys a, a, a great meal, and then he goes, Waiter, there was a fly in it. I don't have to pay now. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, well... Uh, such a terrible food and such a small of portions. Wahoo! <laughs> All right, well... Uh, I came to have Alfredo sauce and a meat <laughs> in my pasta. We wouldn't pass Robert Smith's test. Uh, I'd love to be a socialist podcast that just does (laughs) anti-Semitism as a joke.